Well, this morning we uh, are in the book of Luke. You say that so enthusiastically. Well, after this morning, there are three more sermons in the book of Luke. And this morning we're going to be going through 25 verses. And uh, so we are looking at the political trial of Jesus. Uh, last week we looked at the religious trial. And uh, Jesus has been up all night. He's been mocked. He's been uh, beaten. Uh, he's been through two kangaroo courts, uh, the Annas and uh, Caiaphas. They are looking for witnesses who can um, um, just cause Jesus to be guilty, um, but they can't find two witnesses that agree with each other. Uh, they finally come across two witnesses who say that, well, he talked about the temple being destroyed and being brought back or rebuilt in three days, taking Jesus' words totally out of context. context. And, uh, and so last week we looked at the fact that uh, Jesus really indicted himself. Uh, he told these religious leaders, he told the Sanhedrin, listen, if you're going to... If you're going to kill me, you know need to know exactly who I am. They were wanting him to say that he was the Christ. That was their label of him, but when they were thinking in terms of Christ and Messiah, uh, this was more of a earthly uh, definition of, uh, of David's um, future offspring that was going to rule on earth um, in a temporal way. And Jesus is saying, I'm not that political Christ that you want. No, I am the Son of Man. Jesus says, uh, I am the Son of Man, Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Uh, I am not just coming to rule and reign here on earth right now. No, I'm going to be at the right hand of my Father. And there is going to be a day when I come back on the clouds, and I am going to rule and reign. And even though you think that you're judging me right now, Jesus is in essence saying, I am going to be judging you. So when Jesus confessed that he was the Son of Man, that was his preferred title. That's how he wanted to, he liked to describe himself. Uh, the religious people realized you're saying you're the Son of God? Jesus, in essence, says, Duh! That's been my title all along, and Luke has been spelling that out here in this Gospel. And so, uh, the, the religious people don't need any more uh, witnesses. Uh, they say that Jesus has totally blasphemed God. He's made himself equal with God. And so this warrants death. But the Jews couldn't kill Jesus. Um, the Israel was under the control of Rome. And to bring Jesus before uh, Pilate uh, on a religious grounds of blasphemy wasn't going to cut it with Rome. They would not crucify 
uh, people over religious issues. It had to be a political issue. And so here we see in our text this morning that the Sanhedrin is coming before Pilate. And as they come before Pilate, they're bringing uh, three trumped-up charges before Pilate. The first is misleading the nation, that he's been deceiving the nation with his teaching. The second is that he refuses to pay taxes. And then the third, the third uh, issue is that he claims to be Christ a king, okay, lowercase king, and that this is stirring up a revolution among the Jews and is a threat to Caesar's throne. All three of those charges are lies. And so here we see um, in uh, chapter 23, uh, Pilate's hearing these charges. He's looking at Jesus, who's standing before him. And he says in verse 4, Pilate said to the chief priests and the crowds, I find no guilt in this man. He's looking at Jesus, and, you know, they're saying that Jesus is a, is a king, but he doesn't look like a threat. He's been abused, he's been beaten, he's bloody. And Caesar says, I find no guilt in this man. But verse 5 says, but they were urgent, saying he stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea, from Galilee, even to this place. And when Pilate hears the words Galilee, this is originated in Galilee, Pilate thinks to himself, that's not my jurisdiction. That belongs to Herod. And so Pilate passes the buck. Instead of um, making a decision right here, uh, he says, well, no, uh, Galilee is not my jurisdiction, so he needs to go to Herod. And Herod happens to be in Jerusalem at the time because it's the festival, it's Passover, it's a big deal. And so uh, the politicians, they want to be in Jerusalem at that time. And so Herod is in Jerusalem, and the Bible says that Pilate sends Jesus to Herod. Now let's read verses 8 through 11. When Herod saw that Jesus, when Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad, for he had long described, desired to see him, because he had heard about him, and he was hoping to see some sign done by him. So he questioned questioned him at some length, but he made no answer. The chief priests and the scribes stood by, vehemently accusing him. And Herod and his soldiers treated him with contempt and mocked him. Then arraying him in splendid clothing, he sent him back to Pilate. This morning as we look at this uh, religious trial... Uh, or, I'm sorry, this political trial, uh, we're going to be looking at three characters. This morning we're going to be looking at Herod, Pilate, and finally uh, Barabbas. And here we have Herod first. Well, we've looked at Pilate, but we're going to be going back to Pilate in a moment. But uh, Herod has heard a lot about Jesus. Herod's never met Jesus. He's wanted to meet Jesus, but uh, has never had the opportunity. 
And uh, I want us to look at Herod's life for, for a little bit. In order to do so, we need to go to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6, we're going to uh, be looking at verses uh, 14 through 28. Um, Herod had been fearful of, of Jesus. Uh, we know some of, about Herod's life. Herod uh, took action at beheading John the Baptist. John the ba- Herod didn't want to do that, but Herod had to do that. And after Herod had beheaded uh, John the Baptist, he heard about Jesus' ministry, that Jesus was uh, casting out demons, and that Jesus was healing people. And uh, as he heard these things, Herod became fearful because he thought John the Baptist had raised from the dead. John the Baptist hadn't raised from the dead. But beginning in verse 16, um, or verses 17 through 28 of Mark chapter 6, we go back into the history as to why John the Baptist was beheaded in the first place. Um, Herod had uh, divorced his wife, the Bible says, and had married his uh, half-brother's wife. And her name was Herodias. And when Herod had married Herodias, John got word of that, and the Bible says that John was very outspoken and against this marriage. Um, Look at verse 18 of Mark chapter 6. It says, For John had been saying, saying to Herod, It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against John the Baptist and wanted to put him to death, but she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. And when he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. Strange relationship here. You know, Herod's wife, Herodias, she didn't like John the Baptist. She was uh, uh, infuriated that he was out so outspoken about their marriage relationship. And so Herod had him thrown into jail. And yet Herod feared John the Baptist. He liked John the Baptist. He, he liked hearing what uh, John the Baptist had to say. But every time he heard John, John the Baptist speak, he was perplexed. He was troubled. Obviously, he was convicted by John the Baptist's message. But Herodias wanted John the Baptist killed. But she couldn't have him killed because her husband feared. Her husband liked John the Baptist. Well, the Bible goes on and says in verse 21 that it was Herod's birthday. And uh, Herod threw himself a birthday party. You know, I've not met many people who have thrown themselves a birthday party. Uh, I tried throwing myself a birthday party once, and it was on the day, I remember the day that I met Susan Knapp, my wife. Uh, It was August 29th, 1979. The reason why I remember that day 
it was my birthday. And uh, I was, she caught me off guard. I mean, I was, uh, I was uh, captured by, by her looks. And I thought to myself, you know what, I'm going to invite that girl. I'm going to have a birthday party for myself. And I'm going to invite her to my birthday party. And I did. And she says, well, we'll see. It happens to be my birthday, too. But here I'm thinking she's going to come to my birthday party. And she stood me up. <laughs> but that didn't put me off. I continued to pursue her. But uh, that was the only time I tried to throw myself a birthday party. Well, here Herod is, and he's throwing himself a birthday party. And uh, there's a lot of celebration going on, and uh, Herodias has a daughter. Not related to uh, Herod, this would be Herod's stepdaughter. And Herodias tells uh, her daughter to go dance before, uh, before the king. And uh, this was uh, a very sensual, seductive dance. Herod was so impressed by his stepdaughter's dance that he told her, you know what, whatever you want, I'll give you up to half the kingdom. And all those who were at the party were shocked. What is she going to ask for? The Bible says that the daughter went to her mom, Herodias, and what should he ask? What should I ask for? And Herodias says, ask for the head of John the Baptist. And tell him to put it on a platter. And she goes back and he asks for she asks for the head of John the Baptist. And the Bible says Herod is very sad. Because he liked John the Baptist. But he couldn't go back on his word because he feared what people might think who were there uh, at his party. So he followed through on what he would say, and John the Baptist was beheaded, and his head delivered to Herod. And so here, here we see the destruction of a conscience. Herod had heard of Jesus. Herod had feared Jesus. Herod had heard the words of John the Baptist. Herod was convicted by those words. But we see Herod destroying his conscience. Herod has gone from adultery to divorce to seduction and ultimately to murder. Herod refused to say no to any of these temptations. And Herod's conscience was destroyed. And the Bible says in Luke chapter 23 that as Let's just read verses 18 through 25. Here Jesus is before Herod's presence now. I'm sorry, let's go back to uh, verses, uh, verse 8. And when Herod saw Jesus, 
he was very glad, for he had long desired to see him, because he had heard about him, and he was hoping to see some sign done by him. So he questioned him at some length, but made no answer. Jesus never answered Mary. Why? God was silent before Herod. Why? Could it be that Herod had destroyed his conscience? Folks, there comes a point where we, a, a person's conscience can be killed. You continue to say no what God wants you to do, and you continue to say yes to the devil, there comes a point where Jesus, where you, God can be before your very presence, and you treat him with contempt and mock him. That's where Herod was at. I just want to encourage you this morning. If you're playing with fire, if you're entertaining some kind of sin this morning, and you're convincing yourself, you're thinking to yourself, you know what, this isn't hurting anybody. Nobody has to know. I, I just need some relief. Whatever it is, my friend, you can be killing your own conscience. I was reading this morning in Proverbs chapter 6. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 21 through 23 says, For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he is led astray. That's what's happened to Herod. Herod was at a point where he, he liked hearing the words of John the Baptist. He was perplexed when he heard those words. But he kept saying yes to sin. And he went so far astray that it led to murder. And here is the God of creation standing in Herod's very presence. And God is silent. And Herod mocks him, despises him. That's the first character. Is that you this morning? Stop going down that path, my friend. Jesus died to free you from the slavery of sin. And if you say yes to Jesus, and we're going to look at this verse at the end of this message, 
Jesus sets you free. He wants to restore you. He wants to refresh you and give you that life that you are looking for. It's not going to be found in the sin of secrecy. It's only found in Jesus. So here we see the destruction of Herod. And then we go on in this passage of Scripture, and uh, he comes back to Pilate. And uh, Pilate... Uh, Jesus is standing before Pilate and Pilate knows that Jesus is not guilty. Jesus, or Pilate says to the people, uh, the crowd that is gathered there, he has, he has said on four different occasions in this passage of scripture, verse 4, verse 14, verse, verse 15, and verse 22, Jesus is innocent. He's not worthy of death. And so from a political perspective, Jesus is innocent. Herod even says that Jesus is innocent. And yet, the crowd wants Jesus dead. And so Pilate does something very shrewd. Now, if you look at Matthew chapter 27, uh, beginning with verse 15. It's the Passover festival, and a governor would typically let a prisoner go free um, on Passover day. And so Pilate has an idea. Okay, He thinks to himself, I'm going to show them just how ridiculous uh, their pleas are to me. And so he brings out a man, a prisoner, by the name of Barabbas. Barabbas has been acute, or has been found guilty of insurrection and murder. Now our passage doesn't say this, but Barabbas is probably the prisoner that is to go to the cross with the other two uh, thieves that were crucified with Jesus. And so... Pilate, in his thinking, is, is saying, okay, I'm going to set Barabbas and Jesus before the people. And I'm going to show them who the real insurrectionist is, who the real guilty person is, and as I let them compare the two people, they'll come to their senses. But little did Pilate know that uh, Pilate was going to unveil the people's hypocrisy. And so here Jesus is with Barabbas, and Pilate says, who do you want me to set free? The, the, uh, the real insurrectionist, the murderer, or do you want me to set aside, set free Jesus, who's totally innocent, who's not guilty? And we all know the story. They wanted Barabbas to be set free and for Jesus to be crucified. They wanted the guilty person set free, and they wanted the innocent person crucified. What hypocrisy. The people weren't concerned about Jesus being an insurrectionist, being a threat to the king. No, they just wanted Jesus dead. 
And so here we see Pilate faced with this decision. He knows what the right decision is, yet he caves into the peer pressure of the public. Rather than letting Jesus go free, Pilate is trying to save his own neck. Does that describe some of us in this room? We know the right thing to do, but we don't want to lose our friends. We don't want to lose that relationship, the person that's really important to us. And so we cave in to peer pressure. That's Pilate. Which then brings us to verses 18 through 25 in Barabbas. I've described it, but let's read this text um, this morning. But they all cried together, Away with this man, and release to us Barabbas, a man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection started in the city by for murder. Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus, but they kept shouting, Crucify him! Crucify him! A third time he said to them, why? What evil has he done? I have found in him no guilt deserving death. I will therefore punish and release him. But they were urgent, demanding loud cries that he should be crucified, and their voices prevailed. So Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder for whom they asked but he delivered Jesus over to their will. Pilate let Barabbas go free. Barabbas was the real insurrectionist. Barabbas was the guilty one. And my friends, as we look at Barabbas' life and the fact that Jesus died in Barabbas' place. This is a beautiful theological picture of Jesus taking our place. Jesus dying in our place. This crowd was incredibly despicable. They wanted Jesus dead so badly that they said this in Matthew chapter 27 to Pilate, and all the people answered, His blood be on us and on our children. Then he released them, Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, delivered them to him to be crucified. They wanted Jesus dead so much, they said, let his blood be on our hands. We will take responsibility for his death. And then just a few short months later, they forgot what they what they what they wanted 
If you look at Acts chapter 5, verses 27 and 28, Peter and John are before the same court again. They've been, they've been uh, proclaiming Jesus' uh, resurrection, that Jesus is alive. And uh, they have the city in an uproar. And in verse 27 of Acts chapter 5, it says this, And when they brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teachings, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. They've forgotten what they had screamed before Pilate. Listen, let his blood be on us. They are the guilty ones. And as we look at this text, and as we look at these characters who are involved in this passage of Scripture, we see Barabbas. We see Jesus being the substitute for Barabbas' sin. We see Jesus being the substitute for our sin. Barabbas was the one that deserved to die. He was the murderer. He was the insurrectionist. But Jesus, silent as a lamb before his shears, is saying, no, I will die for Barabbas. Folks, we're all in one of these characters in this passage of Scripture. We're either Herod or we're Pilate or we're Barabbas. But we're all guilty. Jesus didn't just die in Barabbas' place. He just died in all of our places. These people were despicable. I mean, it can't get any uglier than this scene. But as ugly as this scene is, Jesus is dying for them. And Jesus wants to forgive them of their sin. And my friends, Jesus wants to forgive you of your sin. Maybe you're here this morning... And you can relate to Herod a bit. You're entertaining sin. And your conscience is getting harder and harder. Your heart is getting harder and harder towards the things of sin. Is it too late? I don't think so because you're here this morning. If it was too late... You wouldn't want to be here this morning. You would want to be as far away from this place as possible. But Jesus is here and he knows you. And Jesus died for you. He died for all of these people who are screaming out, crucify him, crucify him. Let his blood be on our hands. Jesus is about to die for them. And look at Acts chapter 3, verses 17 through 21. We're going to close here. 
He's talking, Peter is talking to this crowd who has been responsible for killing Jesus. Okay. It's, it's Pentecost. Uh, Holy Spirit has come. Revival's taking place. People are getting saved. This is post resurrection. And this is what the scripture says. And now brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance as did also your rulers referring to Herod and Pilate and the religious people. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, talking about the Old Testament, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Jesus died for all of them. He's died for us. And Peter says, if we'll just repent of our folly, of our foolishness, of our secrecy. If we'll turn from our sin and turn to Jesus, the Bible says that there's going, he's going to blot out our sin in times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. God wants to do a healing in all of our hearts. That healing isn't going to come through materialism. It's not going to come through a, a boyfriend, girlfriend relationships. It's not going to come from a bottle of alcohol or, or drugs. It's not going to come from a porn website. It's not going to come through an adulterous relationship. It's going to come from Jesus. And as soon as you're willing to admit that you need Jesus, that you're either Barabbas or Pilate or Herod, say, God, forgive me. Things aren't going to change. But when you do, Jesus is going to come into your life and he's going to give you the life that you long for. It's not going to come any other way. Surrender your life to Jesus. You may have done that years ago, but you've backslid. You've wandered from that commitment with Christ. Come back to him. He died to forgive you and to restore you. We're going to pray. We're going to sing. And uh, during this time of worship, I encourage you, I encourage people in the video venue, you need to talk to a counselor this morning, talk to someone, have someone pray with you. 
don't be embarrassed. Herod followed through with his commitment because he was afraid of what people might think. And I think people stay frozen in their chairs during an invitation because they're afraid of what people might think. You know what people think? How exciting. God's working in your life, and that encourages others. If you need to pray with someone this morning, there are people in the dining hall who want to pray with you this morning. Take advantage of this opportunity to connect with Jesus. That's why we're here. He's alive, and he stands ready to forgive and restore. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for dying in Barabbas' place. And we're going to look at more of this next week. But, Lord, what a beautiful picture of the gospel. Jesus, you took his place, and you've taken all of our places. We're all guilty. We've all fallen short. We're all sinners. But God, thank you that we find forgiveness. We find new life in Jesus. In the quietness of this moment, what do you need to confess? to the Lord Jesus this morning. Would you share that with him? If you need to pray with someone this morning, I invite you, I encourage you to move from your seat as we stand. And there are those in the dining hall who want to pray with you this morning, to encourage you. Father, I pray for this moment, of this time of worship, of renewal, of recommitment to you. God, I pray that you would use it in each person's life. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you've done for us. Would you stand with me? And let's worship.